his claim against the MOD, it goes back to like 1992. Wouldn't you move on after <laughs> such a long time? Like thinking, okay, I'm not going to get this. Just move on and do something else. And if you can't change something, then don't fo- don't don't put too much effort in it and move on and and do something else. Oh, Try something else. But he else. thinks, but he thinks he can change it. He thinks he uh, can't doesn't exist for him. Can't, can't doesn't exist for him. <laughs> There's no such thing as can't. Frank should have been a motivational speaker. You know, one who goes out and <laughs> gets out in front of like a big crowd. Can you put a square peg in a round hole? They say it can't be done. This is Square Peg. I'm Rob Collins. Part 4. Shaggy Dog. Monday, October 30th, 2017. I'm near the end of my trip, and I don't have the story I want. Or need, really. Frank makes a lot of accusations against his brother, John. I can't just put those out there without giving John a chance to respond. I may be an amateur reporter, but even I know that. Yes, I sent John a letter. Two, actually. I followed up. And he hasn't responded, but that's not enough. And besides the journalistic ethics, it's just not satisfying. But Frank doesn't want me to try to speak with John. He fears that if I confront John, something bad might happen. Frank's facing some serious health issues and says he can't handle the additional stress. And of course, I don't want to hurt Frank. The whole point was to help him. But then Frank surprised me by expressing some ambivalence about this. Or at least I inferred some ambivalence. When asked if he had regrets about his family relationships, Frank said, No fate fate looked after my life. Why should I? Ask them that question. Ask them that question. And then Frank said that deep down he still somehow wanted to reconcile with this brother of his, the one who's been so terrible to him all of his life. I think if John Carver had the bloody guts to come and confront me now, after what he's done to me, I've always been there ready to welcome a brother, which I've never had. Now, mind you, I didn't then say to Frank, "Okay, so let me go talk to John. Maybe I should have, but I'm pretty sure he still would have objected. I really have no idea what to do. So I'm happy that Marie was able to come down to Scunthorpe again, joining me for my last couple of days here. Marie, you might remember, is French, but studying at the University of York. She really wanted to meet Frank and help with this project. Marie was supposed to arrive this morning, but she took a wrong train connection and didn't get here until around 2. So we met Frank and Kiki for a late lunch, which was nice. Marie and Kiki seemed to bond, as French was their first language. So I got to talk French with Kiki, and she was telling me... It was just about her family. I asked questions about her. And then what surprised me is that... uh, And I said, oh, so did you meet anyone else from Frank's family? And she said, no, I, I never met his brother or... And I know he has um, a son, you know, he has a son and his son has two children, two grandchildren. And, and Frank said that he he never wants to meet his grandchildren. And then this is when we switched back to English and we uh, went back to your conversation where Frank was talking. Well, 
I didn't know that Frank had any grandchildren. Yeah, me neither. Two, two, two grandsons. And he doesn't want to meet them. That's what she said. She said, uh, he, and he doesn't want to meet them. That's, that's so sad. I mean, so it must be because of his relationship with his own son yes. that he doesn't want to meet his grandchildren because he must have. But what does that been say? Something. But what does that say about Frank? Exactly. So, and again, this doesn't surprise me about Frank to hear that about grandchildren because he's such a stubborn is not even near strong enough no. word. Such a, you know, he's not going to be the one. So, if that was me, or I think any normal person, and if you have a strained relationship with a child, but you know that child, your child has children, you have grandchildren, wouldn't you do everything possible? Yeah, to try to make it up and. T- t- I don't know. All the t- all the talks I've had with Frank, he never once mentioned to me having grandchildren. I don't know. After the late lunch, we said our goodbyes to Frank and Kiki. I'm leaving Scunthorpe tomorrow, and I don't know when or if I'll see them again. Marie thinks we should go and try to see John now. Although the time changed, the time just fell back an hour the other night, and so now it's getting mm. dark earlier. So it's now, I don't know what time it is, 4? It's 4.30 nearly. It's 4.20. 4.20, but it feels like 5.20. And we both feel like they were so. All these hugs as we're leaving, I just can't in good conscience. Let's go straight to John now after all of that. You know? I don't know what to do. I feel some kind of despair in your eyes. It's not despair. I don't, I'm not despairing. I'm just... The, the day. I know. Uh, I think we should go now. It's getting dark. It's not that dark. If we go now, like right now, now. I know we care about Frank. I know we, we do. But I feel like we need... What about Rose? We'd also talked about maybe trying to see Frank's sister-in-law, Rose Carver. She was married to Frank's younger brother, Eric, who died in 2005. We were told that Rose ran the dry cleaners in town. We can do both. Let's start with Rose. At least we go to Rose, we're going to a business. We're not going to someone's home at 4.30 in the afternoon. 4.30 is not that late. I know, but to go to an old person's home and knocking on the door without even calling first? If it sounds like I'm chickening out here slightly, it's because I am. What do you have to lose? <laughs> You're leaving tomorrow. There's nothing to lose. Let's go talk to Rose and see if that's even the right place. Good morning. How are you all? Is this... Go on ahead. <laughs> the Down at Carver's Fish and Chip Shop, someone told us that the woman who used to... That's owned that. She owns this now. Oh, does that's she? Yes, Rose Carver. Rose Carver. Yeah. Yes. Is, is she available to talk? Is she here now? Or? Oh no, she's not. I yeah. can take your telephone number sure. and uh, your name, and then I'll get yeah. her to. Yeah, I can uh, give you my card actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll get her to get her to call you back. Yeah, that'd be great. I left one of my new business cards for Rose, the ones with my virtual UK phone number. Then Marie and I got some dinner and some sleep. The next day was October 31st. We had one last day in Scunthorpe. I couldn't leave without at least trying. All right, it is 
Tuesday morning, Halloween. Marie and I are sitting in a car outside of what we're pretty sure is John's house. It's raining, and we're going to knock on the door. Anything to say, Marie? It's exciting. It's exciting. Um, let me put the... We're in what I think is one of Scunthorpe's more upscale neighborhoods. The houses are detached, single-story, not huge, but they look new and well-kept. There's a brick driveway that leads past the house to a detached garage behind it. I feel like I know everything and nothing about the person who hopefully lives in this house. I have a picture of him in my mind from that menacing photo that Anna, my researcher, found online recently, but everything else I know comes from Frank. Pardon? Right here. This wouldn't be. Wouldn't that be the front door? Is there from somewhere in the garage is open? It's dark inside, no lights on. Yeah, but the garage is open. Should we walk back to the garage? not him. I said that's not him. I said that because we see an older man in the garage, but it isn't the man in that photo I got from Anna. That man was large, red-faced, and disheveled. This man we're approaching is slight and neat. He wears rimless glasses, a plaid shirt and jeans, well put together. He looks to be polishing the car in the garage, a late-model BMW convertible. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Good morning. Is this the Carver residence? Yes. I'm, I'm looking for Mr. John Carver. Yes. Is that you, sir? My name is Rob Collins. I sent you a, a letter about a project I'm working on for the, for the radio. Did you receive my letter? Yes, I did. But we're doing he said that he received my letter but didn't want anything to do with it. I understand, and, and part of why, and, and Frank Carver doesn't, know, doesn't want me to be contacting you, but he's said things to me that I feel I must, you know, uh, verify and, and just give you an opportunity to, to discuss. But I know it's sensitive, and I don't want to be a... Okay, from this point on, I can't use most of the audio of John speaking. We were standing about 10 feet away from him, and he's pretty soft-spoken. Unfortunately, you can't really hear him. But I didn't even mean to record a conversation this way. I was expecting to be told to fuck off and have a door slammed in my face. And I understand, and, and part of my dilemma is he contacted me over in the States, and he's sent me a copy of this book that he's doing, which he talks about his life, and, and so I, but I've tried to verify, you know, ask other people, and it's just been difficult for, to find out if what he's saying is true. In response to this, John says that a lot of it isn't true. It's not. Would you, but would you be willing to, it can be off the record, anything to, to... He declines, saying again that he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He adds that he's sorry. But he doesn't ask us to leave. No, I understand. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be happy to pay you for your time, just to... I know journalists aren't supposed to do that, pay people, but I was desperate. Again, though, he said no. He said that things had happened in the past, but he just didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want anything to do with him. Frank, that is. No, I, I, I understand that. So, so the kind of things that he said about what you've done, to, 
he just says to me he, he feels like you've ruined his life and doesn't seem seeming you now you 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 seem like a very nice person and that's why i'm trying to reconcile what he said with in response to this john says he's got his problems frank that is yes yes and and i'm trying to understand that i know you don't want to talk and, I, and I'll, I'll i'll leave you alone but i'm just trying to understand john then said that he understood that what i was doing he said it was nothing personal. He said that Frank had done other things like this and that the whole thing was sad. It, well, that's what I'm trying to understand. It does seem like it's, it's sad, but I, <laughs> it does seem very sad, but, but yet he, he seems like someone who's had a hard life and... John said that was Frank's own doing. So what happened with his eye? Like, he blames, he blames you for what happened with his eye. John said that was a tragic accident. He said he wasn't the sort of person to do that on purpose. And I think I believe him. You seem like such a nice man, and this is, he's built, he's built you up in my mind as being this, monst this monster, and you're, you seem like a very nice man. John said that it's been a nightmare. And he, and he really didn't want me to speak to you. I told him I sent you the letter, and he got very upset. He got very upset that I had done that. And I said, well, I feel like I need to give you an opportunity and he said no 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 he, he acted like if I did that that you would do something to him and that you would he, he describes you as someone who is dangerous and yeah this is the only point that John speaks up somewhat he describes you as someone who is dangerous and Me? yeah that's genuine surprise in his voice and it seems fitting because this does not at all seem like a dangerous person I don't know who the scary guy in that photo that Anna found is. It could have been an incorrect caption, but I didn't verify it. I just accepted that the man in that photo was John because he looked like the bully who Frank described. He really describes you as someone who is dangerous, and yeah, that's why we were. I don't, and you don't seem like dangerous at all. No, <laughs> no. That's so crazy. Has this whole thing been one elaborate shaggy dog story? All right, so Marie and I are sitting in the car outside of a restaurant near John's house. We've just driven across the street from where he lives to reflect on what's just happened. Wow. Wow. It's tough because John did not deny being responsible yeah. for uh, Frank's missing eye, but he, he said it was a tragic accident, which I believe him. You could tell that John, to this day, that happened over 50 years ago, feels very, very bad about it. In the immediate aftermath of meeting John, my head was spinning. If John wasn't the dangerous one, did that mean Frank was? If so, what about Kiki? Should we tell her anything? Part of my reaction had to do with that stupid photo, the one of that menacing man that we found online and thought was John. Of course, Frank had nothing to do with that. It was totally my mistake. But it played into my initial sense of things being all topsy-turvy. 
by the way, I later learned that the man in that photo was Ken Carver of Liverpool. No relation. Ken, I'm sorry for the less than savory words I used before to describe you. Looking back, it's clear to me that I was never really trying to be anything like a real journalist or a good one. I wanted John to be the scary guy who'd tell me to fuck off. I wanted it all to be true. Because something about Frank compelled me. To want to help him, yes, and maybe be the hero, but also because I had the sense that there was a story here that I needed to tell. And I don't think I was wrong about that. I just didn't yet know what that story really was. But while sitting in the car with Marie after meeting John, I at least started to go in the right direction. So we ended up talking to John for over an hour. He joked about that at the end. Like he, remember he said he certainly did well saying he wasn't going to say anything. Remember that? I do remember. Yeah. And what was it like by the end? Um, he was, we were all very friendly and he was very, I guess he was happy. He talked to us and he wished us, um, um, yeah, all good things for the rest of the podcast and... I think he was a little happy to see us go, but yeah, he was very polite. I get it. So, but let's go over what else we've learned from that long conversation. I remember I told John a little bit about what Frank's situation was now, that he had a companion. He said that it was good to him. Like he, he didn't, he didn't want the worst thing to happen to Frank. He wasn't. Yeah. He didn't wish Frank. He didn't wish Frank ill. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. He, he, um. He, he indicated that Frank had caused a lot of trouble for him throughout the years, but he said he never retaliated because of what happened. And when he said what happened, he was referring to the tragic accident. Yeah, but after, after the thing with the police a few years ago, that was the last straw, and, and he said that after that he was, he was done with Frank. I had begun to wonder if the whole thing with Detective Mandy was exaggerated, but apparently not. It just feels a whole lot different now. All of Frank's stories do. And John said that it's been terrible the whole time. It's been terrible for him, for his wife, for his whole family. And he said that then when they were in their 40s, Frank would wait for him at the bus stop with a knife and, and threaten his wife to stab him he, he was waiting for him the whole day at the bus stop and and yeah john's wife was very worried yeah but through all of this john carried this guilt over the accident and so that no matter what frank put him through john just kind of put up with it because he felt guilty um and he said that you know and frank says so oh, john never tried to help me john never did this but John said that he that he did. He told us a story that in the late 1980s, when Frank, after Frank got back from Africa, that Frank came to John saying he wanted to go to Australia to work. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. And, and he said he needed 2,000 pounds to get to Australia. And John said that he gave Frank the 2,000 pounds. But, but then, so we're having that conversation, but then this... This woman walks over from the house, who we later learned was John's daughter, Julie, right? Mm, yeah, yes, um, John's daughter. This is, this is the daughter who Frank said came up to him in the street and said, are you trying to kill my father? And So I guess she was in the house and saw all of us standing outside by the garage, and she came up. And so Marie, describe Julie. 
she was she seemed calm and maybe maybe worried about her father but but she was she was she was nice she she had blonde hair and very very short and she did not feel sorry for Frank at all and she used to be scared of him yeah there was definitely no love loss between Julie and Frank I remember she said like that Frank was just a guy who wanted free handouts um but then do you remember Julie said that her son her Julie's son only had one eye but like it doesn't stop him from doing it she brought which which was bizarre she was like my son only has one eye and it didn't stop him from doing anything which I'm like what how does your son only has one eye do you remember this it's such a like this family is cursed or something and this is so strange. <laughs> this is so strange and well and she didn't she didn't say how how her son lost his eye or or no, anything it would have been interesting to know it would have been interesting to know that my god it was like a greek tragedy john was somehow involved in his brother losing an eye and then many years later john's grandson loses an eye and then i remember john said that frank could have done really well in his life he said frank was tenacious and bright but he's got this self-destruct mode in him yeah he found john found the whole thing very very tragic yeah but i came away thinking that the tragic figure in this whole story might not be frank no it's it's john <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, Frank's tragic, too. He's lost the eye. He was bullied and abused. But John, I mean, John was responsible for a freak accident 53 years ago. I mean, I'm not yet 100% clear on exactly how this accident happened, but I think it must have been an accident, at least in the sense that John clearly did not intend for Frank to lose his eye. And he's been dealing with, with the consequences of this incident, his... His whole life. Yeah. I'm relieved to be driving away from Scunthorpe toward Manchester and then home. I feel grateful that I don't have to see Frank again. I don't know what I'd say. I don't know what to think. Yes, my gut reaction is to believe John, especially considering how Frank didn't want me talking to him. But was that fair? Sure, John seems kind and gentle now, but I knew from Bill Bainham, Frank's army roommate, that John wasn't always like that. Have I gone from being played by Frank to being played by John? I check into the hotel and have dinner at the restaurant. I honestly just want to have a few drinks and not think about it for a while. But as I'm settling in, I get a phone call from Rose Carver, Frank and John's sister-in-law. I had left my business card at her dry cleaners the night before. Well, actually, Rose tried to call me earlier in the day, but there was a problem caused by me, and it's kind of an embarrassing story. That's after the break. I'm at dinner in Manchester, flying home early the next morning. I was hoping to forget about the Carvers for a little while, but I'm snapped out of that by a phone call from Rose Carver. Apparently, she'd tried to call me earlier in the day. I had received this strange email a couple of hours earlier. Good afternoon, Rob. My name is Rosemary Carver. 
I believe you have been trying to contact me. I rang the telephone number you left with my staff, and it was a over-18 dating site. Why have you been trying to contact me? Kind regards, Rosie. I had no idea what she was talking about with the over-18 dating site, but then I had a missed call and got this voice message. Oh, hi, is that Rob Collins? It shows me how to I have sent you an email. Um, I, to be honest with you, your um, business card has got a three wrong in it, so it's actually taking through to a dating site. But if you'd like to have a look at the email, then just come back to me. I won't leave my phone number at the moment because I don't really know who I'm speaking to. But okay then, Rob. Thank you. Bye. Rose said that my business card had a three wrong in it. These were the business cards I had made especially for this trip. I got a virtual UK phone number through Skype that would ring through to my US mobile. That way people in the UK could call me more easily. But on these business cards, I had apparently made a typo and added an extra three, which gave too many numbers, but when you dialed the number on my card from the UK, you reached this. This is Telefun, the best place to chat on the phone. With live party rooms, one-to-one chat, bulletin boards, and voicemail dating, we've got it all. Remember, all calls may be recorded, and you must be over 18. Any problems? Sorry, Rose. It seems my life is cursed by typos. Fortunately, I gave out very few of those cards. Anyway, Rose and I finally speak on the phone. I tell her what had happened that morning about meeting John, that I was expecting a monster, but found this very decent-seeming man. You know oh, what I mean? John is a very, um, with, with John is a very family, caring man. She said that John had always felt guilty about the accident. John had so much hurt over it. Yes, yes. You know, for many, many years. Well, that, that is definitely the sense that I got, and I, and I said in the email, I... After speaking with John, I felt, I, I felt very bad for him that he has this guilt over this accident, but yet his brother has spent the rest of his life holding it over him. Does that make sense? Or oh yeah, it, it, just so much. Sam would do so many terrible things. And it was always related to his eye. He would, he would just do some terrible things. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one other person who's clearly on John's side, but it reinforces my initial gut reaction that John was telling the truth. Rose then put me in touch by email with Frank's ex-wife, Gloria. Well, by mistake. Sort of poetically just considering how I met Frank, but Rose cc'd when she meant to BCC. Gloria wasn't comfortable speaking on the phone, and she didn't want Frank to know that we were communicating, but she also confirmed the gist of what Rose and John had said. And then to top it off, John agreed to speak with me again. I wrote him another letter when I got home requesting a follow-up, and a week or so later, John called me. First, he told me that he'd called the number on my business card. This is Telefun, the best place to chat on the phone with life on your I am such an idiot. It's kind of amazing that he would figure out the typo and then still somehow reach me. But I start by asking John for specifics about what happened with Frank's eye. I still couldn't quite get my head around how you could accidentally break a glass on someone's face. But he said it was a terrible accident at the time. That's right. That, That's right. 
that's what he said ha- at the time. That's what he said happened. He, but he says now that yeah. at the time he was trying to protect yeah. you. He yeah. didn't want you to be, you know, to get in trouble because he says your father said that you would take care of him later. And so he, he says now that that was a lie. But it, it, but what actually happened was that you attacked him and you intentionally hit him with the glass, which... Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It, it sounds like it, it, you you weren't attempting to stab him with a glass. You were... No. D- no, no. I mean, I mean, it's a long, long time ago, and I explained a piece at a time. You know, it's something like 45, 50 years ago. Of course. To remember things precisely is you, you, you really can't. You, you've got a, a general thing of what happened. Things like this, this happened, you, you know, you remember why, what for us, but the actual precise detail. I mean, I can't even remember the exact position of furniture things in our room at that time <laughs> now. But you don't remember the details of that moment? No, not, not. I wouldn't make exact detail because it'd be wrong to do that because, you know, you can't remember exact details, nor can he. It's just a thing that happened. We know what happened, we know why it happened and how it happened. And that was it, really. I asked him about the police investigation that happened in 2011. I was never able to get in touch with Detective Mandy, but John said they dropped the case pretty quickly. And not for the reason Frank believed, or said he believed. Frank said that their sister testified that Frank was drunk and just fell onto the glass. And who knows, maybe it got back to Frank that way. But John said that their sister simply confirmed that it was an accident. After that um, episode, I said, that's when I said, that is it, you know, I just do not want to be involved in anything to do with him again. Because we've had many, many years of worry, heartache, it's been terrible, and uh, it's enough. We talk about how Frank told me that John might hurt him. No, we've never given him actually any stress. I've never responded to all the actions and there's been a lot of actions that he's waved upon us. I've, I've never responded to it because of what happened and I couldn't allow myself to let anything else happen like that. So I just took it all. I've since heard from some other members of the family who didn't want to go on the record for various reasons, but they further confirmed this pattern in Frank and John's relationship. Oh, and I learned something else, though not from John, which is interesting that he didn't mention it. Remember how Frank has two grandsons he's never met because he's estranged from his son and ex-wife? Well, Frank doesn't know this, but John has a relationship with these grandsons Frank has never met. John is their godfather. Actually, I'm not clear as to whether he's godfather to one or both of them, but I guess it doesn't matter. He's in their lives. These boys know John, but not their own grandfather. It's Frank's fault, of course, but man. It seems like the ultimate insult, but I'm sure that wasn't John's intention. It was probably hard for John, in a way, to assume that role. Because John said that he kept trying to have a good relationship with Frank until 2011. But after the police thing, then that's when I said, that is it. No more. In his version, you have, you know, never apologized for what happened with the, with his eye, and you've just refused to help him, 
time and time again. All he wants to know is why. Why have you ruined his life? Which no, I mean the, the, the apology thing. When that actually happened, I, I cried for a week. You know, I was absolutely heartbroken. By his bedside, I was telling him how sorry it was. You know, it was an accident and all this. We, we went through it all. We've been through that. But how many times did you have to say sorry? Yeah, well, I bought him some machinery for to for he, he was going to London with uh, eye problems, and he said he was going blind in his good eye, and they needed this machinery to help him train his eye to come stronger. So I bought him that. The, you know, and there's several other little things that, that have gone along with it, but he, I don't know. He, he, you think you're maybe getting okay with it, and suddenly it's all been an ulterior motive there. Right. He always comes out with with the knives afterwards, and and that's been the story of our lives, really. Oh, Frank. Square Peg is a Lucid 48 production. It was written and produced by Ashley Hall and me. Visit our website, squarepegpodcast.com, to learn more.